0: All right. Let's open up our Bibles. We are in the book of Mark again. Mark chapter eight, verse one to twenty-one. It's a bit of a long passage. Mark chapter eight, verse one to twenty-one. I'll be reading the ESC version. If you guys could follow along as I read. Uh, Pastor Paul will preach the word for us after this. Mark chapter 8, verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. Verse four. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into their boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking him from a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit, and he said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in that boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Her- of, Her- of Herod. Verse 16. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened?
1: Amen. Thanks, Peter. Um, Before I begin, uh, will you join with me as I pray for the Word of God uh, as it is being preached. So uh, let's pray. Um, Your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would uh, be with us, um, make the Word come alive. Uh, Would you illuminate it to our minds and our hearts, uh, that we might be challenged and changed um, by the preaching of your Word, um, that we might be humble and ready to hear good soil Uh, to accept the truths that you want to teach us today, and that uh, by sitting under your word, uh, we might grow closer to love the king and live his way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Around this time of the year, for people like me, uh, it's really exciting um, because people like me, I mean like like geeks and people who like tech stuff. Um, One YouTuber uh, referred to this time of the year as Techtober, because so much technology stuff is announced during this time. I don't know if you anyone follows technology, um, but there's a lot of stuff that, get, that has been uh, announced even in the last month, right? Apple has released their iPhones, their MacBook Pros, you know, iPads. Google has announced their Pixel phones. Samsung had an event this week, but you know, I don't know if they really announced anything. Microsoft announced, you know, some of their stuff too, Surface Duo. Um, and what ends up happening, which is what I get interested in is, you know, reviewers they put the products side by side and do a comparison test and so it might be you know Apple's iPhone versus Google's Pixel or it might be you know this year's product versus last year's product but they do all these comparison tests to see you know what has the better battery what has the better speed what has the better features etc and most of the time you know things aren't surprising right what you expect will happen is the result right a- apple is always the best no I'm, I'm just joking um but you know every once in a while you, you get really surprised by the result now, one example is uh, there's a youtuber who does these um phone camera tests and so he takes uh, photos with i think like uh, 16 different phones and he shows them to people to rate which is the best right without knowing which phone took which photo and so you'd think one of the big names might be the top right? Apple, Google, Samsung. But I think the last two or three years he's done it, it's always some kind of obscure kind of phone that no one's ever heard of that gets voted the best. And you're like, oh, that's surprising, right? Today, we're going to look at our passage, and it's going to be for us kind of like that. It's going to be a comparison test of three groups of people who are set before us side by side to see, we're going to see their response to Jesus and their faith in him. And the three groups are, I'll go through them. Number one, you have the religious leaders. These are the Pharisees. The most educated, privileged group of the three. By being a Pharisee, automatically you have honor, authority, you have power. They're the most knowledgeable of the scriptures. They teach the law, right? So they know their stuff. They know the Old Testament prophecies that talk about the Messiah that is to come. And out of all the people, they are, should be, the most holiest, and those who love God the most. In a way, you can say they're the best of God's people, or should be. And then number two, the second group, you have the disciples, Jesus 12. The hand-selected inner group, they've witnessed everything that Jesus has done until now. right? Every second of every day, they've been with Christ. All of his teachings, all of his miracles, they've been there. They even get like these private explanations of some of his parables. And they've been sent out as his ambassadors to expand the message of Jesus. That's the second group, the disciples. And the third, you have the Gentiles, right? Last and definitely least Gentiles, outsiders, right? Non-Jewish people, technically not a part of God's people, right? They didn't grow up with the Old Testament, didn't grow up with the stories of God, didn't grow up with his law and his teachings. The religious leaders we found, I think last week, they call them dogs, Right. They're considered unclean, pagan, immoral. Right, so these are the three groups: religious leaders, disciples, Gentiles. And so you are going to do a comparison test. Which one will come out on top? Which one is most perceptive, perceptive, and most committed to Christ? Right, and you'd expect that order to be as I gave it. Number one, religious leaders. Right, they should be at the top. They know the most, right? The most knowledgeable. They should be quick to see Jesus as a messiah and follow him. Number two, disciples. Ragtag bunch of misfits, but their proximity to Jesus and the fact that they spent so much time with him would mean that they should understand and follow him at least second, or if not first. And the third, Gentiles should be last. No chance, not even in the vicinity of where Jesus has been teaching and doing most of his miracles. They don't know the prophecies that talked about the Messiah that's to come. They don't really care about the kingdom of God and all that stuff, or at least. Right, which one will be on top? You probably know how it's going to end up. But it's not going to be the way that if you were back at the time of Jesus, right, this is not what you would have expected. All right, so number one, let's look at the Gentiles. We find them in verse 1 to 10. Now, we're not going to go through verse 1 to 10 verse by verse just because of the sheer volume of verses we're covering. But Jesus feeds a crowd of 4,000 in this passage with bread and fish and there's baskets full left over. And as Peter was reading it, if you were like, but well, this sounds really familiar, haven't we covered this? You know, it's because two chapters ago, um, Peter actually, he, he talked about a very similar story. Right. So two chapters ago, Jesus was in front of a large crowd of thousands in a deserted area, and he has compassion on them. And he asks, How many loaves do you have? He gets the crowd to sit down, he feeds them like this miracle of multiplying the food and they ate and were satisfied, right? In all those ways, that story was the same as this one. And these similarities uh, lead people to think, you know, Mark made a mistake. You know, Mark accidentally, um, Mark accidentally kind of maybe inserted the story twice or the scribes who, you know, wrote the Bible, they accidentally copied it twice or something. Um, but, you know, when we get to verse 9 to 20, Jesus actually talks about these two miracles as separate events. He talks about the feeding of the 5,000 as one event and the 4,000 as a separate event. So these are two different events. And when you get down to the specifics, there's quite a lot of minor differences. Right? The first one was a story of 5,000, and this one's about 4,000. It was uh, the crowd followed Jesus one day before, but now they're following him three days today. Uh, before, it was the disciples who said, you know, the crowds are hungry. But today, it's Jesus who sees the crowd, and he says they're, they're hungry. Uh, before Jesus made them sit on grass, today it's on ground. Before it was five loaves of fish, today it's seven. Uh, before it was two fish, today it's few fish. Before Jesus prays once, today Jesus prays twice, right? And at the end, uh, last time there were 12 baskets left over, but today there's only seven. And so in broad strokes, it's the same miracle, but when you get to the details, right, there's quite a lot of differences that mark these miracles as separate miracles. But here's the biggest difference and the most important difference. The feeding of the 5,000 was done to the Jews. But today's feeding of the 4,000 is to the Gentiles. And that is a very significant difference. And so when we ask the question, why is Jesus repeating this miracle? It's as if Jesus is taking this kind of really huge event, this tremendous miracle that reveals really who he is as the bread of life. And now he's doing the same to the Gentiles, right? He's willing to feed the Gentiles with such a, an incredible miracle as if to say they are just as important as the Jews. And we see something very similar happen uh, at Pentecost. If you know the story of Pentecost, uh, Jesus, by this time in the book of Acts, he's died, he's risen, he's gone, he's going back to the Father. And before Jesus ascends to the Father, he tells his disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit. Because now in this new covenant era, right, the spirit of God is actually going to live in you. And this isn't like what has happened in the Old Testament. And so the disciples are waiting, they're praying, and the spirit falls. If you notice, like flames of tongue, and they break out and speak in other languages, right? It's just like an incredible event. But when you get to Acts chapter 10, a near exact kind of miracle happens. The Holy Spirit falls again. And people are speaking in tongues of other languages, Again. But the difference is in Acts 10, it's to the Gentiles, right? He repeats like this event, first to the Jews and now to the Gentiles. And in Acts chapter 10, it says, verse 45 those of the circumcision who believed, that's the Jewish, those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also for they had heard them speak with tongues and magnify God then Peter answered can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the holy spirit just as we have and so this is a significant moment in the history of the church where God is powerfully demonstrating that even the gentiles the non-jews are recipients of the holy spirit of God they are in his eyes equal in standard right to the Jews they are just as the Jews welcome into his family, right? The gospel is for them. Salvation is for them, right? And that repeating of the miracle is meant to emphasize that. And today's passage is really a glimpse into that new reality. As Jesus repeats this miracle, like very much the same miracle, even though the minor details are different, he's really saying that God's heart and welcome and salvation is for the Gentiles also. So the fact that Jesus would repeat this miracle for the Gentiles is elevating their value. Right, the Gentiles who were considered unclean and pagan, they were outsiders, rejected. He's saying, no, 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 these people are just as welcome into the presence of God. And interestingly, in the feeding of the five thousand to the Jews, it's the disciples. You say the crowd is hungry, but with the Gentiles, it's Jesus who says they're hungry. Jesus, he says, has compassion on the crowd, and he says, I want to feed them, right? Which is kind of interesting that he would say that for the Gentiles, but not the Jews. But it's not only that Christ values the the Gentiles more than the Jews do, uh, but the Gentiles value Christ more than the Jews do, right? The Gentiles seem to value Jesus more than even the Jews, or even his disciples, right? That's what we're going to find in this comparison test. In verse 2, it says, Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days, and have nothing to eat. Now, the Gentiles have followed Jesus three days, uh, which is more than the one day of the Jews, right, which implies their commitment to Jesus, but that word, been with me, uh, it's a kind of it's a special word. It's a rare word. Uh, it's an intensified version of the word remain. And so it's not just that they've been with me, they just happen to follow me, but they have committed to me is the implication. Right? One commentator says, Jesus finds a reception among the Gentiles that he has not found among the Jews. Right? The Gentiles are committed to Christ following him for three days, which is more than the Jews were before. And all of this, right? really the, the last few weeks, are all trying to emphasize the, the fact that the Gentiles, the outsiders, seem to be committed more to Christ, seem to understand him more than the insiders, right? the Jewish people. right? Two weeks ago, just to remind you, the Syrophoenician woman, she was in an unclean place, had an unclean problem. She was an unclean person, right? really an outsider of outsiders. And yet we found that she had the most remarkable faith. She, she's one of only two people, from what I know, one of two people that Jesus commends for their faith. Right? Out of all the Jews that Jesus met, out of all the people who knew the Old Testament scriptures, None of them were commended for their faith. But this kind of random person, an outsider, rejected by society, had incredible faith. The outsiders are in. And the insiders, like the Jews, the religious leaders, the disciples, they're out. And it's such a weird contrast um, that we find. Not only is God's heart toward the outsider, but the outsider's heart is more toward God than even the Jews. So that's where we find the Gentiles, right? I've given it away, but they're the best. The ones who seem the worst, who should be the worst, who should be the furthest, right? end up being the most closest and understanding and perceptive and committed to Christ. right? If I want to step back a bit, um, I have two extra points to kind of to make about this. Uh, because maybe you're sitting here being like, mm, what does this have to do with me? Um, this has a lot to do with all of us, by the way, Uh, the fact that God's heart is toward the outsider. Um, Because uh, you and I, I've said this before, but you and I, we are Gentiles. Uh, Unless I've got it wrong, uh, I don't think we have any ethnic Jewish people here. Um, We're all, you know, maybe Korean or Chinese or Australian or something like that. It doesn't matter. We're all the same in that we're all Gentiles. You know, I don't know about you, but when I read Old Testament stories like Joshua defeating the Canaanites, like I always imagine you know, I'm with Joshua, uh, I'm with the good guys, and the Canaanites, they're the bad guys, but I'm with the good guys. But technically, uh, you and I have more to do with the Canaanites than we do with the Israelites, apart from Christ. Right? You and I, we're the outsiders. We're, we're not Israel, we're not Jews. And so when we hear stories like this about God's heart to welcome the outsiders and welcome the non-Jewish people to himself, we should be happy about this because that's why you and I are welcome to God. That's why we're at church. That's why we can call ourselves Christians, because the heart of God extends beyond right, ethnic Israel. But also this means that you know, our heart toward outsiders should be affected. But when we remember that you and I, we are technically outside the people of God, right? not only ethnic, but also you know, in sin. All right, who are we to ever look to someone else and say, you are an outsider? Uh, how can we judge others as unworthy when you and I, we are outsiders, right? So when we read stories like this about the Gentiles, right, that, that's us, right? We need to remind ourselves, apart from Christ, we would always have been outside, right? Except for God's grace, inviting them into his salvation. Right? so that's the Gentiles. But number two, we see now the Pharisees in verse 11 to 13, In verse 11 to 13, there's a very short interaction. Jesus gets on a boat. He meets with the disciples. And, you know, they want a sign. And then Jesus says no. And he leaves. It's like a very short, weird kind of interaction that he has. Verse 11 says, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him. The word argue is like they want to dispute him. They want to oppose him. And they're seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. The word test here uh, speaks of their desire to put an obstacle in front of Jesus. They want to discredit him. Right all along, they're trying to trick him, make him say the wrong thing. So they're like, "Ha ha! You know, you're not really a teacher. You 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 said the wrong thing." Then they want to trip him up. Um, but that word "test" is the same word used to describe Satan's testing or tempting of Jesus in the wilderness. Right, so it's, it's a strong anti. Uh, posture that they're taking against Jesus, they really want to kind of do the work of Satan, right, as they oppose Jesus. When when you look at the Pharisees, they're an example of people who um, know in their head, um, but their hearts are closed. They don't have open hearts. And they're already automatically hearing everything Jesus says, wanting to criticize, wanting to judge, Right. Their hearts are closed off like in the parable of the soil, if you remember, the, the soil that is um, hardened over so that the seed of God, of his word, doesn't even have a chance to take root and be accepted. Right. That's what the Pharisees are. Just doesn't matter what Jesus does. It doesn't matter what he says. They're automatically kind of in such a posture where they're going to reject it. And as they test Jesus, it says they want a sign from heaven. Uh, Proof that Jesus is who he is. And the sad reality is um, Jesus has been doing like miracle after miracle. His teaching is like nothing else. Um, And yet their hearts are so hardened that they can't accept any of it. Um, You know, the feeding miracle that Jesus does is kind of getting a little bit into the weeds, but it's really a mirror of the Old Testament miracle uh, in Exodus when God sent manna from heaven. And right. in that story, they're also in the wilderness. There's also a great crowd. They're also hungry. And God, he feeds them miraculously with this food that comes down from heaven. And when Jesus does his feeding miracle, it's like that. It's, it's really a sign from heaven. It's a repetition of that manner from heaven. He's making food that doesn't exist. And yet the twist with Jesus is that what he ends up saying is that he is the bread. He is the bread that came down from heaven to feed people and satisfy their needs. And so the irony is that as they're asking Jesus for a sign from heaven, the one who stands before them is the sign from heaven. He has come down from heaven to satisfy them. But they are so hardened in their hearts that even as they stand before him, they can't see him, right? They can't accept him. Right? They are people so close. Right, but yet so far from truly accepting Christ. Again, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are meant to be the best. In, like, let's say, Kingsway, um, oh, I don't know. well, you know, they're the people that know the most. They're the people that teach. They're the people that lead. And if anyone should have understood the prophecies and understood that the Messiah was Jesus, it should have been them. Because they know the scriptures so well, they're meant to be holy, right? They're meant to love God. But the shocking thing, and for us at church, it's not shocking because we already know that the Pharisees, they're the bad guys, But it should be shocking. These guys are meant to be at the top of the list. They're meant to be the best. But rather than being at the top, they're at the bottom. And rather than being the best, they're the worst. Rather than being closest to Jesus, Really, they're kind of the furthest away, and they end up crucifying and killing him. They're servants of Satan, trying to test Jesus. The religious leaders are servants of Satan. And despite all they know, despite their biblical knowledge, they're outshone by the faith of today's crowd. And the Syrophoenician woman is much more perceptive in understanding Jesus than even they are. And so they have the head, they know, but their hearts are so far from him. Their hearts are closed off. Their head with no heart. Jesus said of them in chapter 7, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their hearts are closed off. And do you see a part of yourself when you look at the Pharisees? Did you grow up in the church? Do you know a lot? Are you intellectual? Do you teach? Do you lead? Right, head with no heart had led the Pharisees to an intellectual engagement with God. Study the word maybe, think about him, talk about him, maybe debate theology, um, but their hearts are far from him. This has led them to create man-made rules that are so far from the spirit of God. They've created loopholes around God's word that is so far from the heart of God. It's led them to be prideful, because that's what knowledge does, right? Paul says in First Corinthians, knowledge puffs up. In their knowledge, they've been puffed up with pride, but Paul says love, it builds up. Pride leads you to think you're better and look down on other people, right? but love humbles you to serve other people. And ultimately, head with no heart means they've closed off to Christ, And it seems that it's impossible for them to ever hear or accept anything of him. I mean, nothing's impossible for God, but they're really so far from him. Now, they're able to look at Jesus, the perfect one, who is sinless, and say that he's demon-possessed, say that he's not of God, call him a blasphemer, a sinner, and crucify him. That's what a hardened heart is able to do. If any of us come to church just waiting to criticize the word of God, waiting to find rebuttals in what we find in the scripture, and then your heart is very close to the Pharisees, potentially so closed off that, you know, it's going to be very difficult for the word of God to take root in your heart. Now, nothing's impossible, uh, but that's not a good place to be in. And so that's the Pharisees should be the best, really, the, the worst. And then third, we have the disciples. The final group that Jesus interacts with in today's passage, it's his his inner circle, it's his 12. And they're sitting in a boat. And again, they're gonna mess up and get rebuked. I feel like every time the disciples are in a boat, something bad happens, Um, a storm happens or something. In verse 15, Jesus tells them, you know, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now I'm not gonna talk about what that means, um, just because of time but the disciples it doesn't matter because they don't understand and that's their problem you Now the disciples are kind of the opposite of the pharisees pharisees have head without heart i feel like disciples have heart but they have you no know, no head you know, their heart is like you know we want to follow jesus but just over and over again they don't like understand jesus they don't comprehend what he's saying parables are like goes over their head I mean, even in this instance, when Jesus is talking about spiritual things, they're thinking he's talking about physical things, right? So Jesus is talking about the sin and the corruptedness of the hard heart, like the Pharisees or Herod, but they think he's talking about bread, right? I don't know why. (laughs) In verse 14, it says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. They had only one loaf with them. And so after Jesus talks about the leaven of the Pharisees in verse 16, it says, they began discussing with one another the fact they had no bread. So they're in the boat like, oh, oh Jesus is talking about the fact that we've only got one loaf of bread. What are we going to do? How are we going to eat? Are we going to get hungry? Oh, we made a mistake. We left the baskets back there on the shore. You know, I don't know. And, but they're totally missing the point. That's the first thing that they do is they fail to understand. They fail to understand Jesus. Um, You know, you can have a good heart, good intention, um, but if you go to the word of God and you fail to understand it over and over again, like you're not trying to engage with it intellectually, you're not trying to understand who Jesus is as revealed in the scriptures, uh, then you're going to end up in a place of trouble. And you need to understand who Christ is. You need to understand what Christ says. Or else you're going to be chasing a different God and different laws that, you know, is not what he wants you to do. So to a degree, we must engage God with our minds. We must read, meditate, reflect, and study God's word. And we're not going to be perfect in understanding. None of us will on this side of heaven, but we want to try to understand, right? It's very important. Disciples failed because they failed to understand Jesus so often. But second, they fail to remember. This is their second failure. Failing to remember, by the way, you find it all throughout Old Testament. God rebukes Israel because they keep forgetting what he's done. And the disciples here, they're so forgetful. It's kind of crazy. How do you not remember what God has done? How are you worried and debating and so forgetful? You know, the reality is, though, When I look at my life, I'm often so forgetful of what God has done in my life. Whether it's like he's taken me from darkness and brought me to life, he's taken me from death and he's saved me. Even though I was so far away, we forget our salvation. But even we forget the way that God has been answering our prayers, the way that he's been faithful and always present. It's like every time we get into a difficult situation, We forget how good and how much God had provided for us last time. And we seem to go through the same kind of lows. But if only we remembered God more, I think the way that we went through suffering would change. And when we went through difficulty, we would approach it with much more faith. You know, the way that I think the Christian life is meant to work is that when we face difficulty, for example, we're meant to take what we understand, right? I So we need to understand and we apply what we understand about God to our situation. And that's meant to change, you know, the, the hope that we have, we pray, uh, we trust in his character. Um, and then we get through the suffering so that next time we go through it, we're like, I remember last time I realized God was good. Or I realized his promises never fail. Where well, I realize that prayer works so that we will approach that next suffering differently because we've understood and we've remembered. But when we fail to either understand or remember, we will go through that same the suffering in the same way, doubting the same things, right? Struggling to pray again. And I feel like sometimes we do that. We're just in this kind of vicious cycle of constant doubt, repeating the same mistakes because we're not growing. And we're not growing because we're not understanding and we're not remembering. But if we can understand and remember every time we go through a difficult season, we'll be growing in our faith, our trust, our understanding of his character. Right? So I think those two things are very vital. Like the disciples are basically repeating the same mistake over and over again because they're not remembering and they're not understanding. And on a side note, this is why journaling, I think, is helpful. Or even if not journaling, stopping at the end of the day to reflect and pray about your day. Um, because it's helping you to understand what God has been doing, to see his character. But then also to put in paper, um, to look back and be like, oh, this is the way God had answered my prayer. Oh, this is the way that God has been faithful. Um, and it often helps you to you know, not only understand, but remember what God has done. And at the end of our passage, Jesus rebukes the disciples with eight questions. And this is the harshest rebuke that Jesus has given to the disciples until now. I think the harshest one is going to be next week when um, I guess you can wait and see. Um, But he's going to smash Peter. Um, But as Jesus rebukes him, I think it gives a good glimpse at where the disciples are, where the Pharisees are and where the Gentiles are. So we're going to end with this verse 17 to 18. The first five questions Jesus asked them is this. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Right? They don't understand. Now, we saw someone who did understand and perceive, a Gentile Syphonician woman. She got a very confusing parable, but she understood straight away. The disciples fail over and over again to understand. Jesus asks, are your hearts hardened? Like the Pharisees, who know so much, but their hearts are far from Christ. Is that where you are? Verse 18. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? The disciples don't see and don't hear. You know what's interesting? Last week's passage, there was a deaf Gentile who was healed and now hears And next story, straight after this, is a blind Gentile who's going to be healed, and he now sees. And so the disciples don't see, don't hear, but the Gentiles, they hear and they see. And then he asks, do you not remember? Right? And they fail to remember. And so here we are, the comparison test. We have the disciples spent the most time with Jesus. They have heart, but no head right? They don't understand or remember. You have the Pharisees who have head, right? But they lack the heart. They understand intellectually some things, but their hearts are so hardened that it seems near impossible they will ever follow Jesus. And then you have the Gentiles, the outsiders, who should have no place in the kingdom of God, in the place in the family of God, but by God's grace, right? They're valued, right? And we see their commitment to him. And as we look at these three, the question is, for us, which do you see yourself in today? Which do you see yourself in? Are you a churched, knowledgeable person whose heart is a bit hardened? Uh, Do you have heart, but you don't really read the Bible? And the reality is then, if you don't really read the Bible, you repeat the same mistakes like the disciples. Or do you feel like an outsider? If you do, the good news of Jesus is that, you know, his salvation extends to all people. And so where do you feel like you fit in today? And so maybe that's kind of what you can discuss today. I don't have a question, but they're the three comparison. Maybe the question is, who do you see in yourself today? Um, do you see in yourself in one of these three? And So we're going to split up. Uh, we'll come up back in about maybe 15 minutes, 11.15, uh, and then we'll close the service.